It takes a pandemic. Okay, you fill in the rest. For instance, it takes a pandemic for me to finally clean out my desk. Right, um, it takes a pandemic to start reading that pile of New Yorkers. Uh, it takes a pandemic for me to finally learn to bake. I'm Alan Winson, co-host and producer of Bar Crawl Radio Podcast. Hunker Don Podcast began with the pandemic of 2020, and now the pandemic of 2021 and 2022. In this podcast, I talk with artists, performers, who were idle with some time in their hands. Here's my conversation with a most talented American actress, Kathleen Shalfon. I've got to thank Joel Bernstein for inviting actress Kathleen Chalfont for this hunkered down conversation. Ms. Chalfont is a celebrated and honored stage, film, and television actor. She debuted on Broadway in Dance With Me, followed by M. Butterfly. She has won numerous awards for her varied, powerful performances in original Broadway productions. For instance, in Wit, she played a scholar battling cancer. In Tony Kirshner's Angels in America, she played several roles, including Hannah Pitt and Ethel Rosenberg. I'm not even going to get into her extensive film and television work. And on top of the thrill of meeting this great actress, Kathleen is a fun and generous person to talk with. It is thrilling to have you on my computer screen. Oh, Ellen, how kind of you to ask me. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, thank you. You're, you're, most, you're most generous to give your, give your time to us, Kathleen Chalfont, for uh, spending this time on Hunker Down podcast and letting us know how you're doing. How are you doing? Well, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones, those of us who are, who are um, privileged enough to be able to do this thing that we're meant to do, um, are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be able to do it. I worry about all the people for whom it isn't so easy just to stay home, including all the people who are working, all the, God knows, healthcare workers and first responders. And just, you know, I have a house and lots of room and even a garden. Where are you? In Brooklyn Heights. So you, you're able to go out and be outside? Yes. And, and by yourself? Uh, I've been out. Well, my husband's here, so we can go outside together. And <laughs> we can talk to our, um, we talk to our neighbors, who, whom we can see over the fence. Amazing. Um, and I'm getting a little tour right now because you're going, your phone's ringing. So. Right. I'm just going to, I was moving away from the phone and now I'm going to move back to Oh, okay. Oh, thank you very much. My yeah. office. There we go. Um, we have, we're getting these mysterious phone calls, which we've always got. It's not a feature of, uh, of the COVID. coronavirus yeah. from two Russian ladies who oh. seem to be communicating via our telephone in some mysterious way. So it sounds like uh, what used to be, uh, not the conference call, where everyone would share a phone. The party line. Party yes, line. I know. it feels like we're on a party line. Which... which uh, who, who who knows about that anymore? But uh, I, I do I do remember that. Are you um, getting your groceries? How are you doing that? How are you yes. handling all that? Yes, Henry and I go out. We've been trying to go out once every maybe four days, mm -hmm. um, properly masked and gloved. And I think more and more people are wearing masks. I think 
um, in, in, in no small part as a political statement that if he won't, we will. And here people are being uh, very good about maintaining social distance. The people who are working in the, in the stores are wonderful because they're for the most part, you know, young people risking their lives really so that, you know, we can get our bananas. It's a very strange time where bananas become kind of this normalcy that we need uh, yes. and being able to get them. And I, I've been finding that, you know, I, when my bananas go brown, I don't throw them out. It's like I find the little niblets of good banana in there because I don't know if I'll be able to get a banana again. I think that's true. And I would imagine that all of us are, are, are using our leftovers in a way that we didn't used to always do. Absolutely. I, oh. I just had to throw out some soup. Oh, that wow. just, and, and it's like I felt really awful. I tried <laughs> to eat it, but it was like, you know, just a little bit, you know, on, uh, on the nasty side. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I was cleaning out my, my pantry on one of the first days and discovering all sorts of expired cans. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the course of opening one of the expired cans, I managed to stab myself in the hand. So I'm not sure. I don't think you can get the virus through, uh, through a hand stabbing. No, I don't think so. I think, though, but, they, our other job is to stay out of, I mean, our, the major gift we can give to our country at this moment seems to be to stay out of the hospital for any reason at all. Right, right. I don't want to get a toothache. Um, because no. I wouldn't be able to go to a dentist. I'd have to kind of have my wife pull it or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And soon, uh, the other issue that will soon become uh, extremely serious for all of us are um, haircuts. Yes, you notice mine. It's starting to get wild. And, a, and, and I noticed that you have a beard very like my husband's. That's the the coronavirus look, I think. I think it is. I had started with it very sharp, but now I just haven't shaved because I, I don't have to go into class and because uh, I'm a teacher. <laughs> and uh, so it just kind of grows there. I, I'd, I'd have shaved just for my for my wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're an actress, and clearly you see the world in ways that other people don't see the world. Uh, when you walk outside, what are you observing as a performer, as an actress, as an artist? What are you, what are you seeing? Oh, well, I guess because I work in the theater, I, I'm, I see the distance between people mm -hmm. on the one hand and the desire to communicate and all the strange new ways to connect that we make because now so many of us are wearing masks and one of the effects of wearing a mask is you can't tell if the person is smiling. And so we noticed in the last couple of days when mask wearing has become <clears throat> more uh, prevalent um, that people say hello right away to make sure, you know, to in, 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 because in a, when before you'd have smiled to somebody that you were passing, uh, it, now people say hello. Yeah. It occurs to me that one of the things that you've probably studied, mask work, that you probably did. I did a little bit of mask work, yes. And I have to say, I have the same issue now when I wear my mask because I forget 
that you can't see. I keep, I, I, you can't see. So it's true. You, uh, I hadn't made that connection, but I hadn't either until the moment that we started talking about it with you. In so. fact, it's a real, it's that's a real issue and something to think about. Another way of trying to connect. I, I was recently walking. I had my, uh, I, I don't have a legitimate mask. I put a scarf on. Uh, uh -huh. Because that's what we've been advised to do, and I, I saw someone and uh, with a dog or a child, and I smiled, and I realized they didn't see me smile. No. Did, did they get what? Did they get the fact that I was trying to connect? And I started thinking, how do I do that? How do I connect now without my face? Right, you do. You have now to use 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 your voice, and I think all of us will uh, become more sensitive, which is something that you learn as an actor too, to the whole of people's body language. Exactly, exactly. And that's something that you deal with all the time. I, I, I would like to get to kind of a, the main course of these um, episodes, which is about performance and, and COVID-19. But before we do that, you, um, you're an advocate of a lot of different things. You're not just an actor but you have um, things that you push and that you're for. You come from a very mixed political family. Yes. Um, your, your mother was, was quite on the, I don't know, on the left, but she was on the left and your father was totally on the right. I, I mean, that's the story that I, that I had uh, that heard. Is, that is true. My father, oddly, my father started as, I, get, I was born in 1945 at the end of the war, and mm -hmm. my father was a, a, in the Coast Guard during the war. Uh, but he came from Iowa, and he started as a Roosevelt Democrat. But by the time uh, we were all, I, by the time I was politically uh, conscious, right. he uh, moved very far to the right. What was um, it that pushed him that way? I have no idea. I think he was a misanthrope. Oh. And I think, I think uh, to be a progressive in a way, it's necessary to have a kind of basic faith in at least people's good intentions. And I'm not sure that my father um, believed that. I also think that having been in the war um, he saw the limits of government, uh, the ways in which the government failed. He, he, in fact, was in the military until 1952, and I was only seven, so I don't have any very uh, subtle or, or, you know, sort of deep understanding of why exactly he did it. But he let he left the military in 1952 over the Korean War. Mm. Because um, uh, he didn't believe that we should have been involved in that? I think that's true. Yeah, okay, all right. Only uh, seven years after the end of, the, of World War II, and I don't know what he'd have made of this. Right. Um, yeah, um, I don't know quite sure how to, how to bring, bring, bring this together, but we're, we're in a time now, if not at a war, um, we're in a time where, though we have social distance, we need to work together in order to get over this. And the way we work together is by having a common idea of who we are. And um, I'm getting a sense of someone like your father, who doesn't see people as with him or for him or for his family, 
see, kind of reflected. I'm not sure if, if I'm reflecting what your father who he really was, but there are people today who kind of see themselves as very not only isolated in a place, but they're isolated uh, in, in in their relations to others. I guess I'm I talking about our president. I think you are talking about your president, and I think one of the things that's so distressing about this moment is that our leadership is, uh, I guess, uh, Yeah, that's, a, that's a good way of saying it. Oy vey is a good way, too. And I think that it is because, as you say, the great strength of this country are the enlightenment principles upon which it was built and the extension of those principles after the Civil War. And as we all know, those principles and the, the working out of those, that extension have been in great part aspirational. We haven't accomplished what we say we're meant to do. But I believe that these people don't actually don't believe in those principles. So they, in the most profound way, don't understand what it means to be an American. Yeah. I've, I've been using the term Usian rather than American, a USian, yeah. uh, because an American is also a, a Mexican and a Canadian and a Colombian. Absolutely. Uh, right? uh, that's and, true. Yes. And uh, we've uh, taken uh, it over. And yeah. also the fact that uh, the all the three nations in North America are in one way or another meant to be governed by those same enlightenment principles. Mm -hmm. um, and each of them does it in a, in a different way. Yeah. The other difficulty with our uh, leadership now is its great ignorance of history. The notion <laughs> of a nativist party in the United States is madness. For the most part, nobody's from here. I have to say, I once said that to Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright, who is both Native American and African American, and he said, well, I'm from here. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, I uh, am uh, the daughter of an immigrant. My mother uh, immigrated from Canada. Her mother immigrated from England, on the one hand. My father's family, this father who didn't believe in all of these things, but, you know, they were, he was a very, uh, came from a family that was on like the, I don't know, second boat at Plymouth Rock, but they were the poor relations. So they went to Virginia and West Virginia and became farmers in Iowa and moved across the country. And I fear that he might have believed that he had some right to claim the country that superseded other people's right. And, and he I, didn't. 
He did not. But he no, felt he didn't. that. Yeah. In real life, no, he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. You know, the 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 act of the act of settling the country by the Europeans uh, was uh, made possible by genocide. So yeah, yeah, and slavery together. Yeah, we 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 have we have a great history, us Usians, uh, that we need to kind of own up to. I I'm I'm wondering if you can bring some of those thoughts to to the moment now, uh, in which a nativist attitude is not going to solve this problem. It's not a Chinese flu. It's it's a world pandemic. I mean, pandemic. And I, I'm just worried about the how this country is handling it. Person to person, I think we're I think we do well, especially here in New York. We kind of we follow the rules, we see what we need to do. We don't want to harm the harm the other. We're basically very friendly people, New Yorkers, despite any kind of reputation. So New York New York is the working out in its broadest sense of what it means to be a Yuzian. We're all here together. I mean, right now we're all here together in the street six feet apart, but we live here together and understand that we all have to live here together. We need each other. Yep, yep. Let's, let's talk about your profession in this age of COVID-19. You uh, said in, in 2011, you were at uh, the New York School of Drama for Drama. They were honoring you. And you said, and I'm quoting from you, uh, there is something that you cannot do by yourself. You must do it with others. Because as you all know, the theater is something you can't do by yourself. You need to get a whole bunch of people together in order to do it. Um, and then you need to have somebody see it, because if they don't see it, it doesn't exist. You need to get a whole bunch of people together to do it, and then you have to have someone see it, because if they don't see it, it does not exist. Comment? That's true. That's true. We, um, certainly true of the theater. And um, I think that Platforms like Zoom are trying to solve that problem in some way. But in fact, we, uh, I, it's interesting, right before I talked to you, I was talking to um, Ellen McLaughlin, who you know was the angel in Angels in America. And her version of uh, Lysistrata was just broadcast over Zoom um, earlier in the week uh, from the Pittsburgh Public Theater, but from actors all over the country. And I asked her what it was like, and she said, it's not, it's a different medium. And it is as different a medium as uh, m movies or television. One of the things about it that in some way resembles the theater is that... Uh, it, are you getting a whole bunch of people together and they're doing something at the same time? At the time that Ellen's uh, Lysistrata was being um, broadcast over Zoom, I was a part of a play reading by um, a, a play called Never Moscow by uh, Migdalia Cruz, which was it takes place in the brain of Anton Chekhov. It's a wonderful play. And we were actors, I forget how many we were, uh, 10 maybe actors from all over the country and one of our 
actors was uh, uh, in Mexico. Um, so we had the thing you have in the theater, which is that we were all together, but what you don't have is the, we were talking before about body language, about feeling the other person. I, I don't know how long it will take us to be able to trust ourselves enough to go back to the playhouse. But as you know, the theater, has, this isn't the first time a plague has shut the theaters down. Interesting, yes. And somehow, you know, while the theaters were shut down, Shakespeare wrote the sonnets, which was not a bad thing to do, but then he wrote some pretty swell plays after the theaters opened again. So we'll, we'll, we'll be back because it seems to be, um, live performance seems to be an important human activity. It, it, it has been since certainly the Greeks and earlier. Uh, and, and you and you are a classic Greek scholar. I, I know you studied it when you were in college. So um, I think that that's a same kind of hyperbolic way. <laughs> but, but yes, I do. I have a bachelor's degree. Okay. In classical Greek. Okay. There you go. You you you're a um, a um, a skilled actor, and you know the craft really really well, and you practice the craft on all different kinds of levels. And I wonder if you can talk. As, as this skilled person who does this thing, talk to other people who are not about the importance of, why is it so important for the, the actors to be together? And why is it so important, I mean, in the same space, and why is it so important for the audience to be there? And what does that give to you? This, this presence, this idea of presence, because I'm, I'm, I'm not with you, I mean, we're in the same time, but yeah. we're not together. If I was sitting in your living room doing this, it would feel entirely different. Yes. It would because we would have, when we're all together, all the people on the stage and all the people in the audience, we are all talking to each other at the same time. And the people on the stage and the, together with the people in the audience, make a thing which is, I always use the image of it being in the middle. The thing that is happening in that room is a collaboration between the people who are receiving it and the people who are sending it. And I, it's ineffable, the, the uh, I, I in I don't know how I don't know how to describe what the human uh, atmosphere is, yeah. but it is the difference between being in a room with a singer in the moment that they're singing and listening to it on a recording. Your experience is different. And somehow there's some part of the Heisenberg principle involved in which the person who's watching affects the thing that's happening. I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. you. You played Hannah Pitt in the original Angels in America. I did. You did. Uh, and you were on stage time and time again in front of audience A, audience B, through 
hundreds of audiences, right? Is there a particular time or moment in your performance of Hannah Pitt in which the audience and your relationship that you can remember was kind of a unique thing? Well, I have to tell you, there was a moment that happened every single time. There's a scene um, um, at the end of uh, a scene between Hannah Pitt and her real estate agent, Ella Chapter, uh, just before Hannah goes off to New York after she's talked to Joe. Um, and Hannah and Ella are talking about all sorts of things. And there's a moment in which Hannah takes a long drag of her cigarette. And every time that happened, the entire, you could feel the entire audience rising to it. A tiny little thing like that, but we were all there together. So you're a body in space, taking in the same air that I'm taking in as I'm in the same space as you. You're pulling that smoke into your lungs mm. and the smoke is being exhaled into the space that I'm in. I think this was before, this was the moment of the inhale. It, because what happens, of course, in the theater is if there's any smoke that you can see anywhere, hundreds yeah. of people begin to call. Okay. <laughs> but this, uh, which is a whole other issue. Right. But this was the act of inhaling. Um, astonishing it was that every time that happened, people responded in the same way. Could you describe the response? Is it kind of an intake? Uh... It was an intake. You could feel the whole audience lifting their lungs, lifting up. Wow. Wow. And the same thing happens always when a joke or when there's a laugh. Yeah. yeah. Because the thing that... The, I, I remember the other thing... Uh, the great, the biggest laugh in Angels in America, where it was when always, when Hannah said to to Prior Walter, "Are you a hairdresser?" and Prior answered, "Well, it would be your lucky day if I were." <laughs> and uh, for some, I mean, we all knew it was funny in rehearsal yeah. and all like that, but the first time we said it in front of an audience, it stopped the show. And it quite often stopped the show. And that was all of us there together. One of those moments of recognition when everybody, everybody felt the same thing for a minute. And it, and it would have still been funny. I mean, it was a little bit funny here. And it would have been funny in a movie. But in a room with a thousand people, or even in a room with a hundred people, which we did sometimes um, in the early days, we're all together in it, and you're all you're all actor and audience becomes almost the same in that moment in which you're sharing this feeling, like you're at a rally, and yeah. and you're um, you're all feeling the same fervor for whatever it is you're going for, the speaker and the. Right, and you're you're all you're all there together, in in this moment of emotional, I don't know, fulfillment. Yeah, 
That's exactly right. And the speaker is lifted up by the response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had asked you if you could bring something to read for for us. I have. I brought, because you said you love the rabbi's speech. I remember it, yeah. Of, um, of Millennium Approaches. I brought that. And then, because one of the plays that I most recently did um, was a play called Novenas for a Lost Hospital about St. Vincent's, um, which helped the city through so many other plagues and sadly isn't here for this one. And there's a wonderful um, speech that speaks to our time. And also a poem by um, Siegfried Sassoon written during the First World War. Yes, yes. In a ceasefire. I mean, I'm, I'm greedy. I'd want all three, but uh, it's really up to you, uh, which, which it, you think is appropriate for this moment. I think I'm going to read the Siegfried Sassoon poem. Beautiful. Which was sent to me um, by my friend David, who was a colleague, and um, who we were in uh, for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday. This is a poem written by um, uh, Siegfried Sassoon, during the second, I'm sorry, during the First World War, during a ceasefire in the First World War. And it's called, Everyone Sang. Everyone suddenly burst out singing and I was filled with such delight as prisoned birds must find in freedom, winging wildly across the white orchards and dark green fields on, on, and out of sight. Everyone's voice was suddenly lifted and beauty came like the setting sun. My heart was shaken with tears and horror drifted away. Oh, but everyone was a bird and the song was wordless. The singing will never be done. My wife and I were just talking about World War I and about how they used to have Christmas celebrations across the across the battlefields, and yeah. um, that and I think Sassoon writes about that also. But this is very reminiscent of of that feeling that that human feeling that really resonates with what we're in now. I think it does. Every single human being that's aware is together on this. Yeah. At some level, we're together on this because we're all so easily, you know, ended. And the thing that we are asked to do is to protect the other people. If you stay six feet away and you wear a mask, you are protecting someone else. That's right. That's right. If I'm, yeah, if you're sick, you're sick and, and it, may, it may affect you. But what you're doing is you're doing that, that, uh, making me cry now, the most human thing, which is to feel for the other. Yeah. To recognize that other is your brother, is your sister. No matter if they're black or brown or yellow or whatever. Absolutely because, no matter. Yeah, because we're all, we're all together in, in, in this uh, green globe. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kathleen Chalfont, for sharing that. Would you like to read another? I, I would like to read the... the this uh, is uh, from 
uh, Novenas for a Lost Hospital by Kuzi Cram. This is a tragic view. Remember, what was I thinking? You can't put something back together that isn't there anymore. So much left undone. So many hearts still closed. Where did all the caring go in this world, this modern world, this moment in time, this country, this state, this city, this neighborhood, this room of people, that person there breathing in a chair? Do you know if your world imploded, exploded, upended, changed directions and collided with poverty, fever, stigma, chaos, would there be someone there for you, to, for you to hold your hand in the darkness? Someone to help you let love and hope into your heart? Would there? I wanted to be that someone. Can you? Are you? Will you be that person? If not you, then who? Who is left? Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, if not, if not you, then who? Then who? Yeah, yeah. And I think what you were saying before lets us know that there we are doing. We are doing what Elizabeth Seaton asked people to do. Yes. We are looking out for other people. And though the, the, the poem, uh, the, 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 uh, the piece begins with, uh, can you ever put something together that's now been taken apart and can you ever put it together again? Um, your, your sense is the theater is going to be put together again because we don't have it now. The theater is always put together again. It will be hard. I don't think we know. I mean, I don't think we know what the institutional shape of it will be. I think the big, um, uh, rich part of it will be able to reconstitute itself. Um, and it probably will look fairly much like it looks now. I, I don't know what will happen to the not-for-profit part of the theater. And to all the artists who work in it, all the people who don't have a cushion, all the people who work from job to job. And those are the people that I hope we all support. One, one thing that everyone can do is, <clears throat> um, if you can, if you can afford to do this, all the performances that have been canceled in the not-for-profit theaters um, from the largest to the smallest are all offering people refunds, but asking if they could please um, donate the price of their tickets. And I urge people to donate the price of the tickets because that money will go to the human capital of the institutions, to people's salaries, to making this art form possible. Thank you. Thank you. I think actors are very resilient. 
you know, be, <laughs> yes, if, yeah. if only because they love what they're doing and that they can't imagine doing anything else, as I think is the case with, with you. That's true. We're the lucky ones. We get to do what we love. There you go. Kathleen Chalfonts, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure meeting you and seeing you perform. I, I didn't record this video because I didn't feel like I didn't ask you permission to do that. So I'm the only one who saw this performance, but we will share, we will share the uh, audio, which I think gets across uh, much of, of uh, who you are. Well, thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for asking me. And you're very, very good at this. Oh, well, thank you. Very happy to have your voice at this time. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing this, and uh, hopefully we'll be out of this, uh, boy, two months. Hopefully. Boy, hopefully, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kathleen, stay well, and uh, we, we'll stay in touch at least through Joel Bernstein, who put us together. Great. That would be great. I really want to know the progress of your beard. <laughs> I will send along pictures. I'm thinking of maybe keeping it this. I, should I keep it, let it keep growing? I, it's very nice that way. My husband says has progressed a little beyond that. And yeah. we talked to a friend of ours in England who's at about your level. I think another week. Another week, and then I can start trimming it. Yeah. Okay. Very All good. Right. Thank you very much. It's been Thank a pleasure. You. you. You have a wonderful day and week and month, and, uh, and stay safe. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hunker Down Podcast, conversations with actors and musicians about their lives on stage during a pandemic. 